And maybe seated church, are you are you thankful for the freedom that we have in Jesus this morning, church? Are you grateful for it? Amen. My name is Luke, one of the pastors here at Holland Chapel. We're so grateful that you have joined with us this morning. I cannot wait to begin this brand new sermon series with you titled Letters to My Son. We're going to be going through First and Second Timothy through uh, the summer weeks. So here's what I want to do. I want to encourage you to do something. I failed to do this last week. Uh, we're going to play a little catch-up. What I encourage you to do is follow along in the reading of God's Word. So if you've never done this before, I want you to go through First and Second Timothy. Just begin reading them in your own personal time. What this will do is this will help enrich in our time together. You'll understand where we're at in the text. You'll have a, a uh, more broad sense of what's happening in our discussion each and every week. My bad for not encouraging you to do that last week, but go for it the coming weeks. Just get in the Word of God, read First and Second Timothy, and see what the Lord uh, is going to do in our time together. One of the main reasons is we're not going to be able to read every single passage each and every week, but our goal, our aim, is to march through a chapter a week to, to see really what the Lord has for us in these letters to Timothy. Letters to my son, I want to do my best to give us, the church, a broad picture of what's happening and then pull some specifics from the Word of God to help us navigate the week that we're going to have. Amen? We, we, we know that we're going to need the Word of God to help us this week. So I'm going to do my best to go over some context, go over some history without putting you to sleep. Do you believe that we can do that? Give me like uh, a clap, clap, like, woo, we're going to learn something from, yes, this is a great group. We're going to learn some history, we're going to learn some context, and learning about God's Word is fun, and we're going to have a great time together, church. So go to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to get where we get the title, Letters to My Son. We're going to read verse 1 and 2. It says, this letter is from Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus, appointed by the command of God, our Savior and Christ Jesus, who gives us hope. I am writing to Timothy, my true son in the faith. May God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord give you grace, mercy, and peace. Who needs grace, mercy, and peace this morning? I certainly do. And Paul knows that Timothy is going to need it. Let's do some background real quick. What's the relationship between Paul and Timothy? Paul is writing these letters. What he says is, my true son in the faith. Yes, Timothy is younger than Paul in age, and Timothy is younger than Paul in the faith. So he's writing this letter, and we see the affection behind it, that Paul loves Timothy like a father loves a son. He, he, he loves him in the faith. What we know is that Timothy joined Paul in the second and third missionary journey. So they, they know each other well. They traveled alongside one another. Paul is instructing Timothy in the things of the faith. He, he discipled him for a long time, taught him everything that he knows. And he's writing this letter to Timothy because he's about to give Timothy a task. And here's the point in the sermon where I'm going to try to take some passages that we won't read, but paraphrase them and give you some context to where we're at. Why is Paul writing these letters to Timothy? 
Paul catches wind that the church at Ephesus is getting some things wrong. The, the teachers there, the elders, he calls them uh, false teachers, are taking the word of God and they're misusing it. And when they misuse it, they lead God's people astray. And when the church leads people astray, it's never a good thing. It's one thing after another. And what Paul is doing here is he's about to send Timothy, a one-man army, to fight a spiritual war. He's about to send Timothy to the church at Ephesus to get things lined out. What do we know about Timothy? We know that Timothy was more than likely, I'm hesitant to use the word timid, because when we have the Spirit of God, we don't have the spirit of fear, but Timothy was reserved. Timothy was probably very meek and quiet and humble. And later we'll see that he was more than likely a a sickly young man. And so what Paul does throughout the course of these letters is he constantly builds Timothy up in the faith. You see, he's about to send him on a tall task. And when we're given a tall task by God, we need much encouragement. Can anybody relate to that? So what Paul does is he constantly builds his son up in the faith. He's encouraging him. He's like, Timothy, um, these guys, some of which have done me much harm, how's that leading in? Like, hey, I'm about to send you uh, to some people that did me wrong, and you got to get them lined out. Can you imagine what he was thinking in these moments? He's like, Paul, I'm not you. Paul, I've not done this as long as you. I'm not as bold as you. I'm not as knowledgeable as you. And you're about to send me in to get some things ironed out. Paul's like, I'm going to send you in there to get some things ironed out. Because what Paul understands and what I want us to understand this morning is that sound doctrine matters. That'll be on the screen, and I want you to write that down. Sound doctrine matters. So Paul catches wind that teachers are leading God's people astray. And one thing after another begins to happen. It's a very dangerous thing when churches get doctrine wrong. And he's sending Timothy in to get it lined out. Now I know what you're thinking. Man, talking about doctrine is something that we don't do. I'm not real sure what you mean by doctrine. Luke, what do I mean When I say sound doctrine matters, what what I mean when I say that is that biblical teaching matters. That God's church has got to get the teaching of his word correct. So some things that we can take away from this now, being here at Holland Chapel in 2023, is that we need to elevate right, responsible, biblical teaching. I get it. You're probably thinking, Luke, that's, I mean, that's not really that cool to talk about. That's not, that's not hip to, to, to talk about. I, I don't really care, and I mean that in the most humble way possible. You know, I, I'm, I'm not here to make Holland Chapel the coolest place to be. I, I'm here to make Holland Chapel the most biblical place so that we can shine the light of the gospel in this lost world, church. Amen? That's the goal. Now, I will have to say this. I really believe Holland Chapel is the coolest place to be. Anybody with me in that? Yeah. All right. Because we love the Lord and love the Word, it's a cool place to be. But but I'm not not here to make us the coolest place. I'm I'm here to, to, to make this place biblical and true so that we can be a light for lost people. 
And what Paul is saying to Timothy is that sound doctrine matters. And you've got to go in there. And you've got to begin to line some things out. So what I want us to get through the course of the summer is that we need to be a biblical church. I'm not accusing us of not being. Please hear me. So at the end of the summer, this church hopefully will have good, sound doctrine. We'll know what the Word of God says. We'll know what the Word of God asks of Holland Chapel. Why is that important? It's because biblical churches step into their God-given purpose. I want you to write that down. It's going to be on the screen as well. That biblical churches fulfill their God-given purpose. I cannot speak. Listen to me. I cannot speak. For any other church, this is the church that God has placed me at. I cannot speak for any other church in town, any other church around the world. But I desperately want Holland Chapel to be a church that's used by God to fulfill our purpose. You with me in that? What's the purpose? To share the gospel of Jesus and to be as biblically sound as we possibly can. God wants to align his churches with the word of God so that he can better use us. What's the warning there? I'm not saying that Ephesus wasn't being used, but some things were being taught that were incorrect. And so Paul's saying, hey, you're getting things wrong. I'm about to send this young man in, and and we're going to get things ironed out because I want you to be used by God. And Holland Chapel, I want to be used by God. So the overarching theme of the entire summer is that Holland Chapel would know what we believe. We would know what the Word of God says, and we would do our very best to align the things that we do here at Holland Chapel, not with what we want, not with our preferences, not with the things that we wish church would be like, but we would align with what the Word of God says, and only what the Word of God says. So, Paul is writing to Timothy. This church, they're messing some things up. I'm sending you in there, and we're going to get some things ironed out together. So I want you to go to 1 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to read 5 through 11. That's going to be our main text for this morning. And what Paul is going to do in the very first passage that we're going to read is explain his whole intent behind the teaching of 1 and 2 Timothy. 1 Timothy 1, 5 through 11, the purpose, I want you to write this down or underline this, the purpose of my instruction is that all believers would be filled with love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and genuine faith. But some people have missed this whole point. They have turned away from these things and spend their time in meaningless discussions. They want to be known as teachers of the law of Moses, but they don't know what they are talking about, even though they speak so confidently. We know that the law is good when used correctly, for the law was not intended for people who do what is right. It is for people who are lawless and rebellious who are ungodly and sinful, who consider nothing sacred and defile what is holy, 
who kill their father or mother or commit other murders. The law is for people who are sexually immoral or who practice homosexuality or are slave traders, liars, promise breakers, or who do anything else that contradicts the wholesome teaching that comes from the glorious good news, the gospel entrusted to me by our blessed God. Paul, right here, establishes his main intent behind the teaching of this letter to Timothy and what Timothy is to do as he goes in and starts to align things at the church of Ephesus. His main instruction, it's going to be on the screen, is for all of God's people to step into the fullness of God's love. That's what Paul is desiring out of the church of Ephesus And that is what Paul is desiring, that is what God is desiring for Holland Chapel, is that the believers would step into the fullness of God's love. So what does this tell us about what is taking place at Ephesus? What it tells us is that when false teaching steps into the scene, people start to forget whose they are. People start to forget the real love of God. When, when teaching takes place that is contrary to the true word of God, it leads God's people astray. So what Paul is doing, is like, listen, Timothy, you're going to go in there, you're going to encounter some wolves. You're going to go in there, you're going to encounter some men that did me much harm. But when you go in there, you're going to start to get things ironed out. And when you do this, everything that you do is going to be rooted and founded in this love. Everything that you do is going to be from an overflow of love. It must be. So, what does that mean for you and I, church? Is that everything that we do has to be rooted and founded within this very same love that Paul is talking about. So, what I want to do is I want to talk about this particular love that he is referring to in verse 5. Let's read it again. The purpose of my instruction is that all believers would be filled with love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and genuine faith. This type of love, I believe, is a, a, an inner three-part working type of love. And we're going to go through these three things exactly the way that Paul has them here. So the first thing that I want you to write down is that we must have a pure heart. We must have a pure heart. I believe that when Paul was writing these things, he he had to have the Beatitudes in mind. What do I mean when I say the Beatitudes? I'm talking about the Beatitudes found in the Gospels. Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, it writes, God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. I, I also think he's got Old Testament on his mind. Jeremiah 32, 38 and 39, it says, They will be my people, and I will be their God, and I will give them one heart and one purpose to worship me forever for their own good and for the good of all their descendants. The pure heart that Paul is trying to establish, that he's teaching that all this love will come from, is a heart that's found only in Christ Jesus. It's found in a heart that only worships God, like the Beatitudes say, those that have a pure heart will see 
God. Jeremiah gives us the purpose that God will give us one heart so that we will worship him and only him forever. God is really serious about a pure heart. If you remember all the way back to the Ten Commandments, God is so serious about where our heart's affections lie that he starts the whole law with only worship me. God is real serious about your heart's affections. And Paul is saying, church, if you want to be filled with this type of love, this transforming love, you have to have a heart that's pure, not a heart that's sinless. Nobody can achieve that, a heart that is pure and focused only on God. It begs the question this morning, where's your heart at? We all desire this type of love. Is your heart torn? Where are your affections at this morning? Is it focused only on God and worshiping Him? Or is there something pulling at your heart's affection this morning? Paul's pleading with the people here. This is, this is the reason I'm going to instruct you in all of these things, chapter 2, 3, 4, and so on, is that you would be filled with this type of love, a pure heart that's worshiping only God. So that's first takeaway for us here and now this morning. What is your heart set on? May it be pure and only focused on worshiping the Lord and nothing else. The second thing that I want you to write down there is the second thing that we see him say about this type of love is that it comes from a clear conscience. It comes from a clear conscience. And Paul, all throughout the New Testament, speaks of his clear conscience. So it's nothing new that he brings this up in Timothy, but what does it actually mean? I want to read a couple of verses that will help us understand what he means by a clear conscience. The first passage I want to take you to is found in Romans chapter 2, 14 and 15. He says, even Gentiles who do not have God's written law show they know how his law, well, show they know his law when they instinctively obey it, even without having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts for their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them when they are doing right. This is acted out in 2 Corinthians 1, 12. This is what Paul says. He says, we can say with confidence and a clear conscience that we have lived with a God-given holiness and sincerity in all our dealings. We have depended on God's grace, not on our own human wisdom. That is how we have conducted ourselves before the world and especially towards you. So I think this needs to be said. I want you to hear me out, church. When Paul writes, this type of love comes from a pure heart and clear conscience, he is not saying perfection. Paul is not saying that this pure love that comes from a pure heart and a clear conscience will be achieved through a sinless life. What we read this morning with Pastor Keaton is that Paul even says, I am the chief sinner. He's not saying that a life lived with a clear conscience is a life that is sinless. What he is saying about this clear conscience is that it is a life directed by the Holy Spirit. So what we see here in, in, uh, in the first Romans passage that we read is that the Holy Spirit will convict through the conscience. Holy Spirit will tell you when you have messed up. Also, the Holy Spirit will encourage you when you are living in holiness. That is why in Corinthians, Paul can say, listen, 
I have a clear conscience. Paul's not saying that he's sinless. He's saying, I'm directed by the Holy Spirit. And when I step out of line, the Holy Spirit convicts me. And I repent and turn from those sins. And when I am following the Lord, and he is sanctifying me, I am living in righteousness and holiness, the Lord affirms it and says, awesome job. That's what it means to live with a clear conscience, not perfection. But here's the challenge for us this morning, church. How many people walked in here this morning truly living with a clear conscience? This is where I think the context of the letter really matters. What Paul is saying here is that these false teachers are elevating the law of Moses, which is the Ten Commandments. And they have abandoned Jesus. If you remember when we went through the Ten Commandments, if you were to read the Ten Commandments apart from the grace of Jesus, try having a clear conscience. You with me? Man, you fail the first one, you fail the second one, you fail the third one. It's impossible to have a clear conscience if all we do is look at the law apart from Christ. So what's happening here at the church of Ephesus? These leaders are holding legalism over God's people. They're saying, this is a standard you can't meet. And of course they're not going to have a clear conscience. But we need to understand on this side of Jesus that we have grace. Amen, church? So the people that walked in here this morning that don't have a clear conscience do not understand the grace and freedom of Jesus. And I beg you to understand the grace and freedom found in Jesus. You walked in here this morning weighed down with a heavy conscience for the sins that you have committed that Christ died for. That's the reason Paul can walk around not so arrogant. Paul walks around boldly in the freedom of Jesus. He's saying, my conscience is clear. The sins that I've committed have been forgiven. And God is helping me every single day to follow him. So my conscience is clear. So that begs the question for us this morning. Are we guilty like the people in Ephesus? That take our life and we, we, we put it up against the law? Away and apart from Jesus? And our consciences are weighed down? Or will our consciences be freed up and cleared by the grace found in Christ? That's what he means when he says, this love is an overflow of a clear conscience. Try serving the Lord with everything you have weighed down by the sin in your life. It's a pretty terrible place to be. You ever been there? Paul's saying, let it go. Jesus has forgiven you for it. And experience this clear conscience. The third thing that he writes about this love is that it comes from a sincere faith. It comes from a sincere faith. It literally translates, if you are a note taker, I want you to write this down, a faith without hypocrisy. That's what it means. Literally translated, a faith without hypocrisy. A sincere faith. This type of faith this type of sincere faith naturally joins with the love that Paul is talking about. Eight times in the pastorals, Paul links faith with love. We're going to read it in 1 Timothy 1.14. He says, oh, how generous and gracious our Lord was. He filled me with the faith and love 
that comes from Christ Jesus. I'm going to make a statement, and it's not intended to be offensive. This statement hopefully will convict and ultimately encourage. But sadly, and I don't think it has to be said, but we're going to say it, but for so many people, the way they live has no relationship to the faith they declare. And what Paul is saying here is this is not tolerated. This type of love comes from a sincere faith. You see, this type of faith, listen to me, this type of faith is demonstrated, not spoken. This type of faith is a saving faith. This type of faith is an unwavering faith. This type of faith is a loving faith. This type of faith that he's talking about is a serving faith. It's the real deal. It's real faith. And Paul says if you want to experience the fullness of God's love in modern terms, he said if you want to experience this fullness of God's love, if you're going to say you live for Jesus, then you need to really live for Jesus. Amen? Oh, not just lip service. Sincere faith. Big question this morning, church. Are we mere hypocrites when it comes to our faith? Do we like the sound of faith, but we don't actually live it out? Remember the context. Paul is about to send Timothy in with a sort of truth. He's about to wage war. It would be real easy for him to walk in with a bent spirit saying, we're going to get this stuff right. But instead, Paul leads with love that comes from a pure heart, worships only God, a clear conscience. Man, you can stand before him one day knowing you've been forgiven. And the third one, a faith that is demonstrated, not just spoken. Big takeaway for us this morning. You see how in one verse, Paul changes the scene? So big question, are we hypocrites or is our faith real and genuine? Genuine faith changes the scene. So I want to encourage us this morning, church, as Paul sets all of this up, he begins with this, Timothy, everything that we're going to do begins with love. Church, over the course of the summer, we're going to elevate doctrine. We're going to elevate the Word of God. We're going to see what the Word of God has for us. But it's all going to be done with love, in and through love. Why am I giving this type of warning? If you haven't already, read 1 Timothy chapter 2. Some things in there you may not like. The doctrine that we're going to read may not go with your preferences may not go with your desires, may not go with your wishes. I wish church was like this. I wish it was. It doesn't care. It's the Word of God. And it's here to make us holy and effective. But everything that we do, everything that we teach is going to be rooted in the love that Paul talks about in verse 5. It's a big challenge, church. Are, are, are you ready to see what the Lord has for Holland Chapel? Amen. 
I am. He's good to us. He's going to keep being good to us. Let me pray for us. God, we love you. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the instruction. Thank you that so long ago we had this example of this discipleship, father, son, in the faith relationship. And we see the heart of Paul displayed on the pages of Scripture to Timothy. There's so much that we can learn from your holy, inspired word. And I pray, God, as we move forward week to week, as we uncover the doctrine that you have for us, that we would enter this place in total submission and obedience to your word, that it would reign supreme in our life, that we would check our preferences, that we would check our desires and our wants and our wishes, and that we would align everything we do with the pages of Holy Scripture. Thank you for this example. Thank you for the word. And as we spoke earlier about the grace and forgiveness of Jesus, thank you Christ. Thank you for the precious responsibility that Holland Chapel has to be a biblical church found in its purpose of sharing the gospel. God, may you find us, this body of believers, faithful to just that. Thank you, God, for Jesus. We ask everything in his precious and holy name. Amen.